0: Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical
1: costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, and welcome to Off the Beat and Track podcast. I'm your host. I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore it's another episode. Today's episode. Well, I never thought I'd be saying this sentence. It's Paul Oakenfold. Paul's creative output has been in my record box and on my turntable, probably from about 1988 onwards. Um, He's, I mean, I've done some prep for this um, and had a a deep dive into Paul's career to see if I could find some stuff that I didn't know. I found a lot of stuff I didn't know. Um, He's, creative output is insane what what that gentleman has done for music is ridiculous it's so amazing and obviously we we don't get time to talk about it all today um but we get a snapshot into you know the the music that, that has sort of soundtracked his creative journey and and yeah i think if you're expecting a an hour of of you know chat about electronic dance music you'd be surprised you know the things go all over the place musically on this and uh and I guess that's that's what makes Boyconfold such an interesting character um yeah i I was ridiculously excited when uh, I got the email saying it was it was a green light to speak to him, uh, and it didn't disappoint and you're about to get that that um that conversation now um also, if this is your first time listening, welcome um you've missed a lot you've missed 400 episodes, Um, go check out that back catalogue. You can hear me talking to the likes of Fatboy Slim and Darren Emerson, uh, William Orbit, uh, through to all your favourite indie bands, actors, comedians, rock stars, from Tommy Lee from Motley Crue to the Foo Fighters, uh, to Chuck D from Public Enemy. We we, we go everywhere on this podcast. So uh, go have a look in the in the archives because there's there's 400 episodes waiting for you all for free Um, if you're feeling generous and you'd like to support the podcast um, you can do that for a dollar a month on Patreon that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash off the beat and track and over there you get access to hundreds of radio shows playlists you can watch all the episodes as well over on there but essentially you will just be supporting the podcast uh, for 20p a week Uh, there's bucket loads of content over there um and yeah it's going to cost you 20p a week so if you can spare that oh please support the podcast it'd be hugely appreciated um okay i think we're uh, we good to go um a few thank yous quickly uh, thanks to 76 for producing this um thanks to scroobius pip and everybody at the distraction pieces network and obviously huge thanks to um you lot for listening and yeah listen to this because it's a cracker it's off the beaten track podcast With Paul Oakenfold. Right, I've got to take a quick break in this podcast because I've got some super exciting news. Off the Beat and Track podcast is proud to go into partnership with the Cacao Bar from Hotel Chocolat. That's right. The Cacao Bar is not a chocolate bar. It's all the best bits of a chocolate bar put into a really exciting new alcoholic range. That's right. Gin vodka and a beautiful range of cream liqueurs so one of the big bonuses of this partnership is obviously I'm super thrilled to have Hotel Chocolat working with us but they sent me a great big box of this stuff and I'm telling you it's amazing go and check it out www.hotelchocolat.com or over on the socials at Hotel Chocolat but yeah in the coming months there's going to be opportunities for you to Get involved with competitions with us to win bottles of stuff. There's loads of exciting things coming soon, and I can't be more happy to say that this podcast is in partnership with the Cacao Bar from Hotel Chocolat. All right, let's get back to the podcast. It's Off The Beat and Track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. It's me, Stu Whipping. Okay, we are recording. Paul Oakenfold, how are you doing today?
0: Yeah, good, thank you. Wonderful. Where are you today? I'm in sunny Maidstone with my mum. I'm at my mum's house taking care of her. So uh, good to be home back in, in England, Britain. I've been uh, playing all over the country for the last, what a Jubilee weekend. So uh, good to have a couple of days off and hang out.
1: Lovely, lovely. Um Well, Paul, I'm going to jump straight in um, with your playlist. And uh, I'm not sure if you can remember the songs that you put down for this list. I can give you a nudge if you need to, if you haven't got them in front of you. Um, But I asked you for track one to tell me the song that you regard as having the greatest ever intro, please.
0: The greatest ever intro. So I mentioned two songs. One was an underground dance record that... um, that for me has been a song that I've played many, many, many times. It's by AM. Now, I don't know if you've got that, because um, was that the record that you were sent, or was it Adagio for strings?
1: I got sent both, um, and I could not find the first one anywhere.
0: Yeah, and it tends to be that way, and it's a song, I don't know, one of those songs that you get sent um, and... This is several years ago and has stuck with me because it's a three minute intro and it's a great intro to play when you walk on stage. So let's move on from that. Let's talk about Adagio for strings. So it's a classical piece of music that appeared in a movie called Platoon, famous movie, famous scene in the film when, um, William Defoe I believe and this movie must be over 10 years old William Defoe was running from the Japanese uh, or the Koreans and I can't, uh, Vietnamese excuse me mm-hmm. um, and they slowed the scene down and they used this classical piece of music now I'm I'm a fan of film I've worked in film I've scored Many movies. So when it comes to film, I'm always listening to the music pretty intensely, um, and this blew me away. Really, I was like, "Wow, this could work so well with an uplifting melody on top of it and turning it into a trance record." So I did it. I I made my own version of it. I played it for years as an intro, and it was starting to become a demand for it because a lot of my DJ colleagues asked me where can they get it, um, and a lot of the fans out there were, were asking the same question. So we cleared it. We cleared the sample. I went in and redone it. I did an updated version. I released it as a single. I added a lyric to it, and it came out. And I've still, to this day, use it now and then as a, as an intro to my set wherever i'm djing in the world i want
1: to ask you paul like when, when i speak um to, to songwriters i'm always interested in how they've changed the way that they approach uh songwriting or or, or, or production or, or i guess we can lend this to sort of djing as well the way that trends seem to be moving that younger people seem to have very, very short attention spans and they're on apps like TikTok, and things are moving very, very fast. Um, As that kind of, that that kind of trend in which people are sort of now consuming their music, does it ever filter through into your creative process? Are you aware of that? Is that something that you, you consider?
0: You need to be aware of change in music all the time. That's what keeps you relevant. Yeah. So, Yes, I am. And the sets, the DJ sets have gone from, you know, in, unless you're a headline act playing your own show, um, you play three hours. If you're DJing at a festival with a big lineup of DJs, you get one hour. So I'm all aware of, of how times have changed. I'm aware of, you know, the, the current generation and the next generation. Well, they're in terms of listening to music, they're over it really fast and they move on to the next thing. Yeah. So in my sets now, when I'm playing an hour, I'm literally playing the radio edit of, or I make my own radio edits. And instead of getting a, a typical five, six-minute track, which we used to all play as DJs, mm. uh, you're now playing three minutes, three and a half minutes.
1: Okay, yeah. I'm going to ask you for track two, Paul, please, to tell me the first song that you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you, please.
0: Okay, so what's on the list?
1: You sent me... Let's have a quick look at what one you sent over.
0: Um, uh, you have to remind me of the list because I sent it a while back.
1: No worries. You went for Bob Marley, uh, Waiting in Vain.
0: So Bob Marley, Waiting in Vain. So I I moved... I uh, am born in Marland, li- it, it lived in... East London, and then um, I moved to uh, Brixton uh, South London and I was in, um, I was in, in an ethnic environment. I went to school where it was sixty percent black, so my best friends are Jamaican, so I grew up in an environment where I was listening to different kinds of music and being inspired by it and and one of them was Bob Marley. Not not the most obvious Bob Marley song, not necessarily his biggest Bob Marley song, but waiting in vain, the lyric and what it meant, and and the tone and of his voice, and uh, I had a girl a friend at that time and she loved it also, so that played into it. But Bob Marley waiting in vain is something that you put on to this day, and there's nothing like it. The way you feel, the mood, the tempo, the vibe, so. That was a big moment for me. And sometimes I might even go back to it now in this day and age and, and remember it just unlocked a wonderful memory. So it had to be Bob Marley.
1: If you had to pinpoint the emotion, Paul, that you get or got when listening to that,
0: what, what is it? Uh, it's a cluster of different emotions. I, I had at that time what I thought was my love. And, you know, when you're a young boy, you don't even really know what that is. I had, I I didn't know my path in terms of where I was going to go in life, what I was going to do. I was still trying to find out who I was. Um, I I, I really didn't understand as a teenager what was going on. It it was a difficult time. Uh, But out of it, it was... You know, it it, it was a, a really important part of my life because now I look back, it it gave me structure. It with it the job that I had at that time when I was just starting my first job, it gave me these things that I needed to move forward.
1: Okay, well, I'm going to keep uh, keep me in the formative years for for track three, Paul. And I'm going to ask you to tell me the song uh, that reminds you of your time at school. And if you don't, T Rex, right? No, that was the following one. You went for um, ELO.
0: Oh, God. (laughs) Mr. Bright Sky. Who doesn't fucking love that? Yes. I, I, when when you're a kid, there was only only one really radio station at that time was Radio 1. And Radio One, why Radio One was great then, and I don't think it is now, to be honest with you, yeah. is it used to play the best of all kinds of music, right? And you'd have you'd hear sweet or mud or or, or, or you know all all kinds, mainly British music at that time. I would have, I think. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm not 100% sure, but I used to think it was mainly British music because at that time it was great British music, Queen, Bowie, um, you name it; they were all there. Elton John. I mean, all these names now are great, but when they were starting, who ever knew? Well, you know, I mean, that amazing story of Bohemian Rhapsody when it was a B-side and the record company said no, 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 yeah. no, no, and it became the uh, the all-time greatest record. I think it's it was voted for by the British public. So, Mr. Bright Sky was is just an uplifting song. You put that on and you feel good. And, I, and it used to put a skip, a skip in my step. I would be like, yeah, you know, I don't know what the fucking song's about. Who is Mr. Blue Sky? What are you talking about? But it didn't, it didn't, it didn't matter to me. What mattered to me is I just felt really good in a time that I wasn't necessarily in, you know, listen, I'm dyslexic, right? I suffered at school. I they didn't even fucking know what it was. I don't think. So I was that kid in the English classroom when they stand, when asked you all to stand up and read something or say something. I was so nervous. I was shy. I didn't want to do it for those reasons. I wasn't necessarily shy as a person because I'm not that shy to be honest with you. But I was at that time in my life, and that helped me. That really helped me because it, it would always put a smile and uh, and and. It's only when I really started to think these questions through when they came through a while back that I was really thinking about feelings. And that, uh, that song, again, still to this moment, this is the great thing about music, is you, lock, you, you have that feeling, you lock that feeling away in your brain, you could listen to that song 20 years later and it opens that door and those feelings come back. And I love that song.
1: Did you have any idea what you wanted to be when you was at school?
0: No. No. I was, you know, it's funny you say that because I had no idea. I've just, I'm I'm just, we just finished. I got approached to do an autobiography and I didn't really want to do it. I'm like, as if you need another fucking book. There's loads out there. Right. I mean, let's be honest. But then I then I was like, well, if I'm going to do it and I'm a working-class kid from East End of London who's yeah. dyslexic, and where's your life going? And then many, many, many years later, I ended up in Hollywood scoring mega $90, dollars dollar million movies, toured with U2, toured with Madonna, all these wonderful things. So if I'm going to do it, I'm going to write, I'm going to, uh, well I didn't write it I had a, obviously someone wrote it for me um, and it, it's for inspiration for inspiring people because I didn't know what I was going to do I, don't, I, I had no fucking idea and maybe you're not meant to have an idea when you're really young, maybe it's part of growing up and experiencing and that's what I put it down to I started off as a chef I'm a fully qualified chef, I was working ridiculous hours I'd start at 10 in the morning till 3 then then we'd prep from 3 to 5 then the, then the evening session would happen from 5 till 11 and I'm like there's more to life than this it must be so but I found my path which was music and 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 I I, and I sometimes you've got to fall over and pick yourself up and brush yourself down and go again and and that's been my attitude and you know, without digressing on this book, but that's what the book's about. So so to answer your question, I had no idea what I wanted to do.
1: Did some of them early sort of DJ sets that you was doing, um, you know... In, in, I
0: wasn't in... a DJ. I, I had no... I, 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 for the first... Once I left school at 15, I, I, I'm, I'm a fully qualified chef. I, I went for four years to study once a week and the other the other five days I worked six days a week and the other five days I worked in kitchens and then when I came out and I said to my mum mum I can't do this no more if this is what it's going to be I I just can't do this so she said all right you've got a trade what are you going to do and I said I'm going to try music and if it doesn't work I can go back because at that time you had to have a trade Mm. I can go back and be a chef so music was the key to my life. It's my first love. Always has been. That's why <clears throat> my, my exes go mad, because I choose music over them.
1: Did it feel, you know, in, in those early years, did it feel that, that music could be a career for a working class lad?
0: No, I, I created my own. I, created, I wrote to every record company and got a no. So I w- so I went on a two week holiday to New York and stayed for three years. Came back and blagged it. I completely blagged my way into the record industry. I made my own job. I went into every record, every independent record company in New York and said that I know all about uh, music in the UK. Well, I kind of I thought I did. I probably didn't. And I started working for an, an American record company called Profile Run DMC. Uh, LL Cool J, Public Enemy, all those artists were part of Def Jam Profile. Well, Beastie Boys and, part of that as well. Then, yep, and then I came back and and Champion Records hired me and the first artist that I signed was Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince and Fresh Prince is Will Smith. I created my own job, no one gave me a break and that's what's in now because I own record labels I give everyone breaks because I know how important it is to for that 16, 17, 15, 14, whatever, because they make music earlier now. It's to give them a break. It's, it, it, it doesn't hurt to, you know, I mean, we, we, you, you can set it up, put your record out, we'll see how it goes, we can A&R you, and if it happens, we go on in the next one. If it doesn't, well, that's down to you. Go and learn the studio better. Go and, and focus on you. And, and that's, how, that's how it is now.
1: Selling a little or a lot? choose your diamond and setting when you found the one you'll get it delivered right to your door go to blue and use promo code listen to get fifty dollars off your purchase of five hundred dollars or more that's code listen at blue for fifty dollars off your purchase blue code listen just' sort of go back a, a little bit as well Paul you know from From that um kid that' have to stand up in class you know the dyslexic kid that have to stand up in class and read you know uncomfortably to to the classroom, where did that confidence then come from to to, to walk into every record yes. label in New York? Was it just that sole yes. belief in your your confidence and belief
0: in music well, i I had it in me it's just, i, I it must it must have. My mum is very strong. My mum, my 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 mum is very strong. My dad was smart. My dad said to me when I when I the first time I actually got ripped off in the music industry, he, he said to me, "Why do you think they call it a mu- the music business? Go away and learn the business." I'm like, "Oh my god, that's right." You know, it's called music business. Learn the business, then you don't get ripped off. You know, and, and of course, you get caught in in the wrong side of the music industry is, is great. I found a record I like. I want to sign it. I signed it. It did well, and I didn't see a penny out of it. Well, because you don't understand that you needed a contract and you needed a piece of paper saying that you was going to get paid. So it was. It's always been. Inspiration comes from within. You. I can't make give you make you give you, you know, I mean, it doesn't work like that. So for me, I, I believe in my, I, I think you should just believe in yourself. And I I know I referenced this book, but that's what it's all about. I mean, I'm no smarter than anyone. Believe me. I can't, I so, but I know I can fucking do it because you've got to learn it and become the best at it. So whatever you choose in life, become the best, and and when you become the best, then things change. But it's up to you to put the work in. What well, you know? Look at Eric Clapton. I, I saw a documentary on him the other night, and the amount of work that he put in. It, ask anyone who's successful how hard they work, and there's your answer. Yeah. Practice, practice, practice.
1: Also, Paul, like, I've I've spoke to so many sort of musicians and actors and 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 producers and such over the years on this podcast and um, a question i always like to ask because i'm fascinated from you know the circles that you've worked in you know uh, as you mentioned you two you know madonna they're they're the biggest possible names you can get in, in in music does this working class kid walk into a room with these people for the first time ever and do you ever get a pang of imposter syndrome. Is it anything that ever kind of plays in your mind?
0: Sorry, what do you mean by that?
1: Like, how did I get here? Or like, um, because... I spoke to, um, I, was, I was chatting to the, the, the Foo Fighters about it, and, and they were saying that they'll still walk into a room and go, oh, my God, there's blah, blah, blah over there. How yeah, am I here? Course, yeah. And, like, <laughs> you know, do I yeah, deserve to be here? Have I done enough? Like, am I, am I, have yeah. I earned my stripes like these guys? Do you know what I mean? That sort of, that, that sort of yeah. little bit of self-doubt and, and oh, God, yeah, this is I crazy. Into, I
0: walk into a room full of stars, and I think everyone doesn't even know I am. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, it's like, believe me, I, it's still to this day day i get you know you, you i get you know, i get invited to some really wonderful parties and i'm very lucky i'm invited now and i'm thinking well you know, what the fuck, man? I mean, no one knows who I am, but you've got to own that moment because you've worked so hard for it. And the only reason, when you understand, the only reason you are in that room is because you are the best at what you do. Yeah. You, you, you've you worked in, for 30 years to get in that room, and you, you're still respectful. You still understand. Still, there's going to be people who don't know you, but that's okay. That's okay. you got to, you, 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 if you believe in yourself and you work really hard, the best will come.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Um, and the best is not necessarily being in that room. Best is for me is hanging out with my friends down the pub or being with my son playing football or, or going to a, a match. You know, I'm, I have a big, this weekend I, I DJ for Soccer Aid for UNICEF and I'm nervous not to DJ, but, I, you know, you've got all the ex-footballers there. You've got the, the next generation of celebrities. They don't know me. I mean, they, you know, they're not into my music, but I'm the DJ for UNICEF and for Soccer Aid, and I'm there for that reason. Um, so it is what it is, right? You know.
1: Paul, I'm going to ask you to tell me the first song you ever buy from a record shop.
0: T-Rex. <laughs> I can I forget that. Get it on. I mean, full of attitude. Oh, well, I heard great. that record and I was like, what the fuck's this, man? <laughs> yeah. I mean, this was this, I've got to have this. I didn't know. I didn't know who Mark Boland was or or, or or what T-Rex was all about, but I, what, all I knew was I have to have that record. It just lit a fire under my, under my bum. And I'm like, man, this is, this is great. And, and again, these records that I've chosen are records that I can go back to. And these records I've chose, chosen, I'm sure a lot of people remember and, and and maybe a lot of people don't even know. But I'm telling you, listen to this record. This is it.
1: And I'm, I'm just like trying to imagine what it would have been like to hear that for the first time and then see him because he looked like he was being from fucking out of space. He looked incredible, didn't he? It was like, what a pop star. That's what you want as a young, young lad. And it look at Mark Bolan, like just the full package, right? Yeah.
0: Well, that's, that's what a, a rock star was, Yeah, you know, or, 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 or should be. Um, I mean, if any anyone who's listening to this, if you really want to see what rock stars were all about, watch the, uh, it's called the Rock and Roll Circus Rolling Stones. And it's when Jagger looked absolutely amazing. It was shot in 1967. I watched it a few weeks ago. It's so inspiring. John Lennon, Eric Clapton, all, all these The Who. Uh, Marion for all these amazing musicians who were just about being the best at their craft. And on walks the Rolling Stones. And as I said, they're doing sympathy for the devil, they're doing satisfaction. And Jagger is like, he's so fucking the rock star. I mean, even we're all sitting, a bunch of guys are sitting around the, in the sofa watching it and going, wow, he, he, even I fancy it. I mean, it was like this. <laughs> It was ridiculous. It was absolutely ridiculous. You got four fucking guys, middle-aged guys, sitting there going, "Yeah, that's that's the rock star you want to be." But that's what it was all about.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Well, just tell me about your relationship with with record shops. You know, in in the early years, Paul.
0: Ah uh, uh, man, I well, you know, when I was a chef and getting my my monthly paycheck. I, I, would, I would go straight to the record shops uh, and you know whether it was Groove in the West End Bluebird in Paddington I mean there was a great little record store in Brixton too, and you'd just stand there and the imports would come in and you know and you'd stand at the back they'd play them and then you'd put your hand up and you'd have your little bag and then that bag would get bigger and bigger and bigger and before you knew it you know you're like oh shit you'd have to put a few back because you couldn't afford it uh you know i'd spend my rent on records yeah. I'd, I'd blag it i would be like you know and the, when, when i when i moved out of my mums because uh, you know that that was a a moment because i just kept playing music louder and louder and we were fighting so i moved out and i got my place and that was a big moment for me. I sat up my little decks and I was buying, buying, buying. My record collection is huge. I mean, on the front cover of my new album, you can see I, I've got a wall of records and it's a wall of memories and I would never sell my records, never.
1: Do you think there's such a thing as a guilty pleasure or do you, in, in music or do you think anything that gives you pleasure, there's, there's no guilt attached to that?
0: Look, I, 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 I have friends over. Uh, as i said i have a, a wall of records, and my to answer your question a guilty pleasure what is a guilty pleasure well here's mine. I invite all my friends over and we 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 have a drink we get stoned, and you have to pull a record on the from the wall so I play a record, and that record could be five minutes three minutes. 10 minutes. But you've got to find then it's your turn. You've got to find a record from the wall and play it and mix into it. Then my other friend's got to do the next one and then the next one. And it's so much fun. And you don't know what I'm going to play and I don't know what you're going to play and you have to try and mix it. And that's where the game, and if you can't get the mix right, you're out the game. Love and it. and it's, it, it, And before you know it, the night's gone by and you know, maybe maybe one tequila too many and you're laughing your head off. And that's that's what I enjoy. That's what I, you know, that's what I do on my nights off. I love it. Wonderful.
1: Well, I don't know uh, where to start with this question. but um, And I'm really curious, Paul, as to how you worked out what your answer was going to be for this. But I'm going to ask you to tell me the song that a soundtrack your years inclined.
0: Clubland was was it made Joy and Pain?
1: No, that was uh, that that comes a little later. You went for Grace.
0: What? Oh God! Well, Grace is me. That's my first hit. That's my I I am Grace under a Hmm. a pseudonym. So me um, and this is a very interesting story because Rob Davis was the guitarist in Mud. Remember the band Mud? Of course. So. So I got introduced to Rob, and Rob was a songwriter. And I, at this time, I started uh, to make dance music, and I needed uh, someone to to help me write a song. And Rob was a a crafted, gifted, and still is songwriter. He wrote Carly Minogue's biggest ever song. Uh, You know, that song that everyone knows that I can't remember the title, but I'm sure you're going to sing it. The, Um, the, whatever
1: it was there you go go. (laughs)
0: yeah exactly he wrote that anyway so what happens is I get my manager at the time put me with Rob we came up with the song it's not over yet Grace and we brought in a singer to sing it Tiff Lacey her name was great singer at the time she sang it we released it and it became a hit and and here's the moment it's a, it's a tr- and it's happened to many, many, many musicians. And it was it's one of the most greatest feelings you're ever going to get. I was in the King's Road in a shop on a Saturday afternoon. It came on the radio. And I was like, oh, my God, I've made it. You know, it went in at 99 on the chart. And what have <laughs> I made? It? I mean, I hadn't made anything. But, you know, it's the feeling that your record, the first time you hear your record on the radio is such a big deal. Um and, and that was that was just that moment. Um, and the strangest thing is, it's been covered, uh, it's been remixed, it resurfaces. I did a show with an orchestra in Belfast on Saturday, um, and they played it. Uh, the orchestra redone it. it. It's it's a record that never goes away for me. And a record that's so dear to my heart because it was really the first record that I actually realized I can make music and it sounds pretty good I've tried it a lot of times before I mean it was the production skills must they weren't my production skills weren't very good then but you have, but that's to my point now I said earlier you' just got to keep trying and trying it's practice it's all about practice if you want to be I don't know, if you want to be Ronaldo or Michael Jordan, you, you've got to practice. That's how it works.
1: With that track, did, uh, did that involve an appearance on Top of the Pops?
0: I, well, I wasn't certainly on Top of the Pops. I mean, the last thing to see is a short, fat, white guy wearing <laughs> a wig. And they get, they get it. I think mean, that ain't happening. Have I you mean, done Top of the Pops, you, Paul? Uh, <laughs> nah, I know, but you know we found a, a good looking girl her name is Dominique, we put her on put a wig on her and and everyone was going mad. If, if listen, if I was on top of the pops, the record have went down, not up. We, never, we needed it. We need records to go up the chart, not down oh, the chart. Amazing. I love
1: the marketing meetings. Like right, yeah, keep Paul off of top of the pops because uh, yeah, yeah that whatever ain't you do, help. He,
0: yeah. No, they told me it was on Friday and it was recorded on Thursday. Thank God for that. I turned up Friday. I was like, I'm ready. Now, nah, sorry, Paul, cool. you missed it, you day, Any big performance, I'm always a day late. For some reason, they always tell me the wrong day. I think they're trying to tell me something.
1: But seeing seeing your music on top of the pops, all all it is is I'm, I'm fascinated by it. Um, that the impact that you know you mentioned Bowie and, and, and Bolin and stuff like that growing up like surely the only time you would have seen them bands would have been on Top of the Pops and and I just wonder what it felt like to, to feel like not just like with Grace but with other music that you'd worked on you know seeing it on Top of the Pops and did, did it
0: ever just... no, it's a big moment yeah I mean joking aside joking aside it, 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 it's relevant to what I just explained with you and your record on the radio, having your record on top of the pops is a big deal in the artist. It means you've made it to a certain point. You know, you may only ever get one shot in music. There's, there's many one it wonders. No, you know, I mean, it, it, it's it's a, it's a moment in your musical career that, you should look back on and be proud of because it's, it's meant to be the best tunes that week. The tunes that people are buying that week. Hence why you're on top of the pops. So it works.
1: One of the things that I I want to ask you, Paul, before we get on to um, the the next track is, you know, just reading more about you uh, in in the lead up to this, like it's, it's incredible. Like, what what you've achieved in so many different areas of, of you know of the creative sort of industry? We we spoke about sort of confidence and that, but tell me about your relationship with drive. How driven are you, Paul?
0: I'm very driven. Comes from my mum. I'm very very driven. You know, I and and I'm and I'm in a position to 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 help and, and, and encourage and support that, that drive. Uh, that an, I don't know where it comes from. I, I, I as I just mentioned, it's probably my mum because that's where, you know, my mum was, you know, as I said, the, my upbringing was pretty tough. And my mum was like to my brother and sister and my dad, you know, let's just get on with it. You know, let's make the best of it. So, I would put that down definitely to her. Okay.
1: Well, I'm going to take you home for track six and take you back to London and ask you for a favourite song from an artist from your home county, please.
0: What did I.
1: What favourite song? You went for. From rock. my hometown. You threw the clash in for this one and rocked the Casper.
0: No, 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 no. So, so what happened was, right? Yeah, this is a very interesting question because. Um, what is, what, what is your favorite song from your hometown? Because it really, my favorite song is not from my hometown. Yeah, Let's get that out of the way, yeah. right? My favorite song is, by, you know, so, so then you start to narrow it down, right? and there ain't many great, in my opinion, and I'm probably wrong, but there ain't many great, great songs from London, right? You know, and, and then, I, then I started to think, okay, well, who do I know? Who do I admire? Who have I toured with? And who have I learnt from? And from London, right? So then I realized when I was on tour with you two, um, Big Audio Dynamite were the other artists. Uh, so I was I'd open up Big Audio Dynamite, then I'd go back on and then U two. Anyway, we're on a several Month tour, and I get to know big, o- big Audio Dynamite really well, and then I get to know Mick Jones, right? He was in the band, so then I sat and and, and spoke to him about the Clash. We all liked the Clash. Was I a big fan? No, right. But once I started get talking to him and listening to him, and 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 understanding what it was like in that period. Because I came out of the Acid House movement. Mm. We were all, I was in, it was dance music and ecstasy. It was a different scene, right? Um, and, and, And I grew up, you know, like many people listening to, I don't know, Boy George Culture Club, Spandau Ballet, Human League. I don't know if they're from London. But Mick Jones and The Clash, I like their attitude. I like their approach to music. I like the whole idea that they did what they want to do. And I was doing the same, but in a different lane. I was just, we were just like up playing dance music, creating a scene, a movement that... I never knew, you know, that it would become even to this day that people are asking me to play those classics Mm. from back in those days. So the band, the act, the artist that I chose from London had to be the Clash. Why? Because it inspired me. Two, because I like those songs. I mean, and and three, look, I'm playing on on this Sunday at Soccer Aid. I'm going to play London's Calling. It's at London Stadium. So I'm going to play that song.
1: You're, you're you're so right though, Paul. Like that the, the the whole ethos and uh, of of acid Ass and, and and you know and dance music, that it was as punk as fuck, wasn't it? It was just you know it was, it was totally yeah,
0: totally. To, it was it's the unsung hero of the '80s. It changed the foundations of of music, right? I. I I, I was, that's how I got in the remix. And I was remixing all these, all these, I was producing at me Monday. It was the stone roses. It was the cure next week was in excess. The week after it was this bad the Inspiral. It was everything. It was the attitude and the and our, our drive. And we were like, fuck it, man, we're going to do what we want to do. Meanwhile, on the other side of the fence, you had the clash, the pistols, whatever. But I, when I, when I would sit and listen to Mick, I'm like, Hang on, that's what we're doing. Yeah. We're just the other side of the fence, and we're the underground movement. And, you, and they were obviously the more, I don't know, commercial, well-known, whatever. Mm. But, but that's why it appealed to me, was, was more what they were doing and the attitude that they had. So that's why I, uh, I chose it.
1: Wonderful. Them. Well, Paul, it's your last track, and, uh, and I'm going to ask you now um, to tell our listeners a song that you think many may not know that you would like them to hear.
0: Right. So, so I thought I had two more. Don't I have Marvin Gaye and, and Maze?
1: You've got Frankie. Yeah. You have Frankie Beverly and Maze for this one. Like, All
0: but... right. So, so, so he, he, here's why I chose that song. Um, it sums up a moment in my life that defined my musical career. And what I mean by that, the song is by a band called Maze. Thank you, Beverly and Maze. Yep, Maze. The songs called Joy and Pain. And I saw them, they came to Hammersmith Odin, and I saw them live. And at the time in England, it was jazz funk. It was, we were very influenced in my circle, in my scene, by American soul, American artists. And I got to see a bunch of musicians on stage, and they blew me away. It was like. It was, they were so professional that their timing, the arrangement the structure, the keys of the songs that they chose, it was uplifting and the songs went on forever. And they were really good at bringing the audience into the fold. So it wasn't the audience there and the band there. Frankie would get the crowd going. He would, he was an, a, a true front man that I'd first seen live. So that song is, 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 is not, I, don't, I don't even think it was a hit. It was certainly not here in, in Britain. But the soul heads know it. And, and all the soul heads know it over the, throughout the UK. And and I suppose I was a soul head. And, and May's Joy and Pain, it, it, and that's the lyric Joy and Pain. And, the, you know, so, so have a listen to it. Check it out. Oh,
1: I such a tune. It really is. You know, I'm, I'm a, You
0: know it? Of course,
1: I grew up in Essex and I'm 49. That soul (laughs) stuff was everywhere, mate. I'm five minutes up the road from the goldmine, mate. (laughs) Yeah,
0: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, there you go, Chris Hill, (laughs) Robin Vincent, Jeff Young, Pete Tong, all the old guys. Well, I was at the front of the stage looking up at those guys going i want to do that you know i can do that i mean you know so and i was in new i went to new york before and then saw the real paradise It's paradise carriage uh larry levan and wow. petty bones uh, jelly beans so I, I, exactly the goldmine they were playing all these songs that was the that was the day yeah
1: yeah, it was, it was that. I'm trying to think, because everybody had the car stickers. Everybody had a amazing, and Frankie Beverly car sticker in their xr 3 eyes. Was, there was one of them, and there was a Lonnie Liston-Smith one and a Roy Ayres one. They were the ones that would always be in the back of these escorts bombing around Essex. Yeah, right. Roy
0: Ayres, Lonnie, List, Lonnie Liston-Smith expansions. Oh, what a uh, record what a tune that was <laughs> boy yeah. I mean at don't get a start we could do a whole another podcast <laughs> on that side of things you know it was It was, I mean those tunes that's what I was buying and they were in port albums. Mm. you know I mean it, it wasn't even like singles at that time it was just spending like I don't know 15 quid on a bloody album
1: yeah yeah.
0: but uh, Capital Records that was on love it Yep, yeah, Capital well, what, Records man
1: what we do, Paul, is we put together a little playlist as well to accompany the podcast, so people can go and listen to all of the records that you've you've chosen, and, and we'll throw um we'll throw expansions on there as well, so people can go and listen to that. Yeah, if you've not heard that before. Floating in the mix, for Absolutely.
0: sure. Listen, it's been great talking to
1: you. It's I really been an enjoyed absolute it, pleasure, Paul. What's ha- What's happening next? What's What's next in? Uh, in the, the never-ending, uh, incredible journey of Paul Oakenfold. What's next?
0: Well, uh, uh, well as I mentioned, uh, big, big show this weekend uh, for Soccer addicts on TV this Sunday, uh, and then my book, my you know, I'm coming back in August, my autobiography's coming out, and uh, just about my journey through music and life, and... You know, I hope that, you know if someone buys it and they're inspired by it, then that's that's all we can hope for.
1: Wonderful. Oh, best of luck with it all, Paul. And it's been an absolute pleasure to get in chat records with you, mate. Thank you so much all for right. your time today. Yeah, thank
0: you, and, and take care.
1: Absolutely. See you soon, buddy.
0: <laughs> See you later. Bye.
1: There you go, Paul Oakenfold, ladies and gentlemen, sitting in his garden. He was, um, yeah, it was uh, it's a bit of a dream come true, that. Not going to lie, um, you know I can't stress how important that man's creative output has been uh, on me as a as a DJ and as a, as a musician and and all the things that you know I was doing throughout the you know the, the late eighties and nineties and early noughties and right the way through to you know DJing now and the the impact that Paul Oakenfold's work had is you know is is endless and. Yeah, and long may it continue. What a book! I can't wait to read this. Um, yeah, I'm. 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 I've, I've crashed there. I think uh, I was so. I'm not gonna lie. I was nervous. I. I never really get nervous for these podcasts. Every now and again, somebody. I got nervous for Chuck D. I'm not gonna lie, and uh, and I got nervous for Maxine Peake. But yeah, I was nervous for this one um just because of the the impact these people have had on me um and yeah and as has been the case with everyone they've all just been bloody delightful and uh and this was very much the case today um i hope you enjoyed it and uh go check out that back catalogue and uh in the meantime uh just be nice to each other and i'll see you next time love you bye-bye off the Beat and Track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network.
0: Keep me stew with him.